Genesis chapter 48. Beginning in verse 13. I was going to go on to chapter 49 this morning and I couldn't do it. Circumstances of the week and some things that I believe God wants us to hear, to be reminded of. For some of you this is refresher. For others you may not have even thought about these things. This may be the first time. But I'm convinced this is what God wants us to hear this morning and I think you'll see why. Genesis chapter 48 in verse 13. And in this amazing chapter, Israel... Long been called Jacob, but his name changed to Israel by God. Israel is about to die. He's in his bed, he's not doing well, and Joseph is told, hey, your father's going to die. And so Israel, you know, in finding out that Joseph is coming, he gathers together his strength, sits up on his bed, and Joseph comes in and he brings his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, before his father Israel for the blessing. The blessing. That's what Joseph expected from Israel. Not exactly what he got. Oh, he got a blessing, but he got quite a bit more than he was bargaining for. Verse 13 of Genesis 48. Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right, and brought them close to him. Understand that he was positioning his kids for the blessing. He was putting Manasseh to the right hand of Jacob, or Israel, and he was putting Ephraim to the left hand because Manasseh was the older son. And Israel's right hand needed to be on the older son, the older of the two, to give the right blessing. Well, verse 14, but Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. Skip down to verse 17. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him. And he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He will also become a people, and he also will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. Father, as we enter into this study this morning and consider your word and think about these things, I pray that you will help us to see beyond our limited human vision. God, give us a vision this morning that is so big that it is as big as you. Father, give us a vision this morning that is so specific it's like a zip code, Lord. And may we understand more fully today what you would have the Bridge Christian Fellowship to do. And Father, what you would have each of us to do in our lives as we learn more of you and seek to follow after you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Joseph is concerned. In fact, we skipped some verses there where Israel is giving blessing to Ephraim and Manasseh. Joseph doesn't even hear it. He's worried. He's concerned. His father, who's about to die, has lost it. He's senile. He's missing it. He's confused. He crossed his hands. He probably didn't mean to. And so he stops his father and says, No, no, my father. But, but these, this way, you need to bless Manasseh first. He's the oldest. But suddenly we realize that Israel is not so senile after all. Israel is sharp as a tack. Israel is speaking with the Spirit of God. Mike read the verse from Hebrews 11 that Israel was, was acting in faith when he blessed his sons. Now, it doesn't take any faith to bless somebody. How, how does that take faith? You, you just say, bless you my son and off you go. 
But Israel's blessing took faith because Israel's blessings were prophetic. When he blessed each one of his twelve sons, and if you come on Wednesday night, you'll see this. We'll go through Genesis chapter 9, and it is a mind-blowing study of prophecy. Israel said things about all twelve of his sons he could not possibly have known, or possibly have foreseen, without the spirit of a God who does know these things. And so in faith, Israel begins to bless. I wonder if Israel even wondered himself, what am I saying? Why am I crossing my hands? But no, this is right. I I should. I I need to be. This is the right thing to do. And so he acts in faith. And Ephraim is blessed over Manasseh. The second born is blessed over the first born. The younger before the older. And here's what I want you to see. This whole thing was very unexpected. It was unexpected. This was not the norm. This is not the cultural norm. And it certainly wasn't what Joseph was looking for when he went in to his father Israel. Folks, our father this week... Our Father brought to the bridge an unexpected blessing. And I want to, before I share that with you, share some things about the way God works, the way He functions. Again, you may know this, this may be a refresher, but it's so important because it's something I don't believe we key into very often, which is why we tend to lack faith in our world. The first thing to jot down is we have a Father who does not always do what His children expect. Like Jacob, we have a Father who does not always do what His children expect. Not to say that God is erratic, but God does not do what we always want Him to do. Or what we think He is going to do. We have a Father who does not always do what His children expect. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 1 reads the following. Now, if if you're new to the bridge, I'll throw out a lot of verses at you. There are a couple I want you to read along with me. You're welcome to try and find any of these, but sometimes they'll come at a rapid pace. When I tell you to turn to a passage, I'll give you time to do that. Isaiah 64, verse 1, I'm just going to read to you. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil... To make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. Isaiah is praying for mercy, praying that God would make himself real. And then Isaiah says this, When you did awesome things which we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. For from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you, who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. There I go again. Do you notice I keep doing this? I just had eye surgery, those of you who don't know, so I'm used to going up to the glasses and adjusting them. I don't need adjusting. How strange. God is a God who we don't always expect. Now, personally, I'm, I'm convinced that part of the reason that the apostles followed Jesus during his ministry was he was so unexpected. He did so many things that they didn't expect him to do. I mean, it even started out that way. As they stood in their fishing boats fishing, and Jesus said, Hey, leave your nets and follow me. It's like, well, that's a little weird. Who is that guy? I don't know. Let's go find out. And so they followed him. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, we see a story of Jesus healing a man man who had been blind from his birth. And you know, just when we're sure that God doesn't see what's going on, He gives sight to our blindness. In another place, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, Jesus forgives the sins of a lame man. You may recall that scene. One of my favorite from Sunday school stories, how the roof was opened up and they lowered this man down in a pallet. And they wanted Jesus to heal him. 
Of course, all the religious stuff shirts were standing around there watching this thing. And Jesus goes to heal him. And what he says is, my son, your legs are healed. No, that's, that's not right. What he says is, my son, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> His sins are forgiven? Well, who's this guy to forgive sins? Who's this man to say only God can forgive sins? And Jesus said, I know what you're thinking. But so that you can know that I have the authority to forgive sins, he looks down at the man and says, Rise up, take your pallet, and carry it on home. And he heals a man, unexpected. Just when our sins render us lame, God forgives. Unexpected. Folks, we all in our lives have those times where we look in the mirror and we think, nobody can forgive me. Nobody could possibly think anything of me. We all have those low points where we think, what am I even doing here? Why do I even exist? Unexpectedly, God loves you. And God forgives. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Another unexpected story. Jesus and his disciples are walking into the town of Nain. And a widow is coming out of Nain in a funeral procession. A very tragic funeral procession for it's the funeral of her only son. She's a widow. She's already lost her husband. Now she's losing her son. Now she's all on her own. And as this procession comes out, Jesus sees it going by. And I have to wonder, I have to ask... Did Jesus look ahead to his own mom and the fact that she would lose a son as well? But he walks over to the procession, interrupts the funeral, which Jesus is always interrupting funerals, including his own. He just can't seem to let dead people stay dead. And he walks over to the coffin, and the apostles at this point must have been verily, verily freaking out. What is he doing? Stop, Jesus, it's a funeral. Oh, this is really uncomfortable, John. I'm going to be over here. You know? He goes up and he touches the coffin, making himself ceremonially unclean by Jewish standards. And he says, I say to you, young man, get up, go home with your mother. And the coffin pops open and the young man stands up. A few people, I'm sure, fainted. The apostles quickly ran to Jesus' side. Yeah, we knew he was going to do this all the time. We're here with him. After that, can you imagine just following Jesus going, that was so unexpected. How cool is this Jesus? What's he going to do next? We have a father who relishes doing the unexpected. Surprising us. Thrilling us. To the point that we're amazed. I'll never forget the biggest smile I ever saw on Corey's face. And it was huge. You will never see him smile like this unless you do what we did on his 13th birthday. He had been told for two solid years after the Nintendo GameCube came out there was no way we were going to have another game system in this house. We're done. Nintendo 64 has already sucked the life out of our family. No more. And he knew this. And he was, you know, he woke up the morning of his birthday a little somber. Yeah, happy birthday. I'm 13. Not getting what I really want. Hope I get something good, you know. And he opened up that box. And the look on his face, I mean, we have a picture of it. And every now and then when we're not sure if Corey knows how to smile, we pop it out and look at it. He does. I'm totally embarrassing him, and I'm a dead man when I get home today. But ear to ear. Yeah. It was so unexpected. He had no idea. I love when parents pull that off. God loves to surprise. 
He relishes the unexpected. We have a Father who does not always do what His children expect. How about Jesus' resurrection? That one. (laughs) Who saw that coming? Unexpected. But did you hear what Isaiah said? In Isaiah 64, verse 4, he said, From days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you. There is no other. And he says, One who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. And that's our biggest problem. We miss those surprises because we just don't want to wait. Abraham and Sarah, back in Genesis 21, didn't want to wait. God said, I'm going to give you a son. And they're like, great, I'm going to have a son. We're going to have a little boy. This is wonderful. And years went by. And they waited and thought, oh, well, I guess we're supposed to do it ourselves. And so they concocted this wonderful moral scheme, this great idea. Sarah says, Abe, take my maidservant, sleep with her, and we'll have a son. Oh, that's a good idea. That's great thinking. And Isaac was not born. Ishmael was. And God came along later and said, no, that's not what I had in mind. That is not what I had planned. You did not wait for what I had planned. Ishmael was the result of get-her-done thinking. Get-her-done. Those of you who have seen the blue-collar comedy tour, I'm not going to recommend it as a church activity, but it's very funny. That's a problem in the church, though, gang. Get her done. We're praying, we're praying, we're praying, and God's not answering. And he's saying, hey, whose timetable are we working on here? Isaiah says, I will bless, he blesses those who wait for it. He acts on behalf of the one who waits for him. Now, a year ago, I fully expected to be living in California to my great dismay. <laughs> I fully expected to be moving back down to California. Those of you who don't know this story, two years ago, I had a sense, I can't explain beyond saying a sense that God was calling that there would be a move in the life of my family, and I was hoping no more than one. And we've been moving all over the place ever since. But I knew that we were going somewhere, and then an opportunity opened up in California. Some friends called, hey, our senior pastor just resigned, and, and we're wondering if you'd Try out for this, send us a resume, send us tapes, and I did all that. And for seven months, I was convinced that was God's plan. I knew it was God's plan. It had to be because I've been waiting long enough. It was His plan. All the way until September 1st of last year. Actually, September 2nd. Because if you had asked me on September 1st, Rick, what does God have in mind for you for the next year? I'd say, oh, I can tell you. I'm going to go senior pastor in an established church down in California. My kids will have youth ministry. My, kid, my youngest will have children's ministry. This will be perfect. I'm all set to go, and all I have to do is just go. They've got a building, and I'll have an office, and everything's cool. And here we are in the barn. September 2nd. September 2nd. Everything changed. Everything changed. God cast a vision. What about a church on North Whidbey Island? Not in Oak Harbor, but on the north end. What about a church here? Here, Lord? Where? In the middle of nothing. Except houses and barns and sheep. (laughs) A few cows, one less since the one was butchered a few weeks ago. Some horses. I mean, what's out here, Lord? Why a church here? But I'll tell you something, and though some friends of mine were, were looking at me going... Really? There? 
I knew. I just knew. And that was not to my faith. As a matter of fact, it was blindness at, the point, at that point. We are just like, I, you know, I, I'm pretty sure this is what God wants. Pretty sure. It was not my plan. It was not my idea. But folks, God does not always do what we expect. Instead of standing in a nice, established, comfortable, heated church. <laughs> I'm in a barn! Yeah! <laughs> what are you doing, Lord? I'm having more fun, by the way, than I've ever had in my life. God does the unexpected. But gang, listen to this. We also have a Father who knows exactly what He's doing. Not only does He do or not do what we expect Him to do, but He knows exactly what He's doing. He has always known exactly what he's doing. Joseph discovers this with his father Israel. We see in verse 17 that Joseph sees this and he's confused. He says, wait, this isn't good. We can't have this. No, dad, dad, you got him messed up. And Israel responds, I know. I know. I know exactly what I'm doing. Yes, I pulled the old switcheroo. I did it on purpose. Jacob knew what he was doing. Israel knew. Why did Israel know? Because he had faith. God was saying, cross the hands, buddy. Because Ephraim is going to be the firstborn. He's the one who gets the blessing. Like Joseph, gang, we have a father who knows exactly what he's doing. And it's not only comforting. It is comforting to know that God knows what he's doing. But it's compelling. It is compelling to know that God has a plan. What do you mean? Now I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16. It's right after the Psalms, about midway through your Bibles. Proverbs 16, and follow along as I read with you, or read to you. Beginning in verse 1. This is a great chapter in the Bible to know and several great verses to highlight and to commit to memory. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 1 tells us the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs motives. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Notice the order there. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Commit your behavior, your actions, what you do. Commit it to God. Let that be your first action. And then make your plans. And He will establish them as long as you are walking and working and functioning and actioning in the Lord. Verse 4, the Lord has made everything for its own purpose. Even the wicked for the day of evil. I think a foreshadowing of Judas. Even Judas had a purpose. Even Pilate, even Nero, even men like these. Verse 5, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. By loving kindness and truth, iniquity or sin is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. Now listen to verse 9. Focus on verse 9. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord, the Lord directs his steps. The mind of man plans... But the Lord directs. That word plans is literally deliberates. The mind of man thinks through, strategizes, works out. But 
But the Lord directs His steps. We have an exact example of that in this church. You want to know how much planning went into this church before we started the Bible study on October the 8th? None. Zero. We didn't have time. I didn't know until September 2nd we were even going to have a church over here. And in the month between September 2nd and October 8th, I didn't even know if we'd have a place until God connected the Gilmores and a handful of us, showed us this barn, showed us a living room and hospitality. I had no idea. There was no chance to plan. I've got a really good friend right now who's planning a church in Phoenix, Arizona, outside of Phoenix. And he's going through a group called Stadia. Now, Stadia is a very well-organized Christian planting organization. They send out pastors and they take them through this six-month training course first on how you plan a church. And after that six-month training course, they send them out and they spend six months in the region, in the field, supported by outside sources, just meeting people, getting settled, getting to know. And then, then they plan a church. And I was reading my friend's email about all this and saying, I wonder if I should go get some training. <laughs> Maybe that would be a good idea. You know what the blessing is here? And I, I told some of you this on Wednesday night. There are times as a pastor that I am scared to death because I don't know what we're supposed to do. There are days and weeks that go by where I stand there and I pray and I say, Lord, what's next? We're in the barn. Great. We're doing Bible studies. Terrific. What's next? What do you want us to do? And in the silence, I quake. And I think, I, I don't know how to grow a church I don't have any background. I don't have that training. And then God comes along and does the unexpected. All I need to know, all we need to know, is that our Father knows exactly what He's doing. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Kyle and Delich, I, I quoted from them last week, a couple of Hebrew scholars, and they write about this passage. They say, man deliberates here and there how he will begin and carry on this or that, but his short-sightedness leaves much out of the view which God sees. His calculation does not comprehend the many contingencies which God disposes of and man cannot foresee. Contingencies, plans, figuring it out, getting ready, making a strategy. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We have no idea. But the Bible is clear. God does. They say, oh, I know God's omniscient. No, no, no. No, listen closely. God knows everything that's going to happen before it happens. He knows. Well, I understand that, Rick. No, I, I'm not sure that you do. Listen, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. I am the Lord, and that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images or a stupid pastor. Oh, I, sorry, I just added that. Verse 9. Behold, the former things have come to pass. Now I declare new things. But listen. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. Well, how can you do that, God? Because I know what's going to happen before it happens. Prophecies, biblical standards, things that the Bible tells us will happen, these are not accidental things. These are not things we hope will happen. Many of you have heard me say this before. Prophecy is not what I hope is going to happen. It's what has happened in the eyes of God. It's what He's already seen. From His perspective, outside of time, the whole thing, you've heard the example maybe of the Rose Parade. You can sit on the block of an avenue of the Rose Parade and watch one float go by at a time, or you can ride in the Goodyear blimp above the parade and see the whole thing at once. That's a God's eye view of life. 
He sees the whole thing all happening instantaneously, instantaneously at the same time. And because of that, he's able to tell us at certain points in time, here's what's coming. Here's what you can count on. And the Bible, by the way, is flawless in prophecy, in fulfillment. Historically, as we have watched things happen. Well, I'm not sure if I really believe that, Rick. Well, let me give you another verse and think about this. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Peter says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Remember the apostles following him around just because it was so fun? The signs, the miracles, the wonders. Peter says, we saw all those. Just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Well, how do we really know that Jesus' death and his resurrection was God's predetermined plan? Easy. Read Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, by Isaiah the prophet, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, that details the crucifixion. Read it for yourself. Read Psalm 22. There are numerous messianic prophecies in the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus in stunning and dramatic ways. So why don't we seek the counsel of God? Hannah? Why don't we seek the counsel of God if we know, if we are convinced that God knows what He's doing exactly? Why don't we seek that counsel? And I'll give you one word, and I hate to say it, but I've... I've walked it. Arrogance. It's nothing but human arrogance. That says we don't need the help. We don't need to listen to God. We don't need to know what He has. We can make it out. We can work it out. We can build a strategy. We can build a church. We can make this bridge thing go. We get the right funding. Yeah. And the right plan and strategy, the right proposals out there, if we can advertise in the right way. I hate to make a pronouncement like this, but I'm going to. As long as I have anything to say about it, I don't want to advertise for the British Christian Fellowship. I don't want us to be in the newspaper. Maybe we'll put a phone number in the phone book, okay, so people can find us if they want to. I don't want to advertise. Why? Because it takes all the fun out of it. It takes all the glory away from God And we can say yeah it's because of our slick advertisement That's why people came Oh it's because someone heard our song on the radio That's why people came No It's because God wanted them here That's why people came You all are here without any advertisement whatsoever this morning Why? Because God wants you here Praise Him He gets the honor He gets the glory Not our strategies And certainly not our Arrogance. There's an old German proverb that states, man proposes and God disposes. I like that. May God dispose of all of our proposals and do what he wants to do. And let us just follow after him like puppy dogs as happy as larks. That's the way I want to live. Which brings me to my last point, And it should knock us to our knees in amazement. Not only do we have a father who does not do what his children expect. Not only do we have a father who knows exactly what he's doing, we have a father who wants us to know his thoughts. We have a God who doesn't want to keep things from us. 
A God who wants His people to know. Amos chapter 4 verse 13. For behold, and this is mind-boggling, He who forms mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what are his thoughts. He who makes dawn into darkness and treads on the high places of the earth. The Lord God of hosts is His name. Look at the context. This great, awesome, powerful, majestic, tremendous God makes his thoughts known to man. The Creator shares with the creature. He declares his thoughts to this puny little man. And Jesus put it even more in more of a familiar way. He said in John 15, 15, No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing. Slave doesn't have a clue. The servant doesn't know what the master is all about. But I, I, Jesus said, have called you friends. I've called you my friends. For all the things that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Does that hit you like it hit me this week? All the things that I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. I want you to know my plan. I want you to be aware of what's going on. I want you to see the things that I've got lined up. Not all at once. You couldn't handle the truth. (laughs) But you can handle bits and pieces. Step by step. The Bible says His Word is a lamp to our feet. One step at a time. Let me show you what's next. Let me show you what's coming. And so this week God did the unexpected. This week God did something absolutely amazing. And I'm freaking out. A year ago this month, God gave that unexpected vision to start a church here. A a vision for a church on the north end, up here, away from Oak Harbor, not in Anacortes, but just here. And so we stepped out, and and many of you have heard me tell the story many times, meeting in the Gilmore's living room. Just a handful of us talking about what this might look like, and hi, I'm Rick, and (laughs) we have no idea who we are, but why don't we, let's pray together, let's take one step. And we took a step. And I I wish that you could have been a part of the emails just going back and forth between the Gilmores and us. Because like every day it was like, today feels even better than yesterday. (laughs) Every day that goes by feels a little bit better. You know, I'm just going, they've got to think I'm nuts. And they're probably thinking, these guys must think we're nuts to let them come on to this. You know, but it was step by step by step. And we've watched over this year as... As we've been running out of room in this barn. Now I love this barn. I love being in this place. I love how relaxed it is. Concrete floor and, and if and when we build a church building. If it doesn't look like this I'll be personally very disappointed. I'd like heat. But that's all. you know. Heat and big doors for the summertime and we'll be good. But folks, this vision of God for the Bridge Christian Fellowship was not a whim. I was sharing what I'm going to share with you in a moment with some people this week. And someone said, so you're really serious about this church? Duh. (laughs) You can quote me on that. Hey, is Rick serious about that church? Duh. You better believe I'm serious about this church. This is the first place, by the way, and I can share this honestly with you, that I have ever served as a pastor that I had a very strong sense that God was saying, when I pull you out of this world, it's going to be from here. Now, God only knows 
But my family knows we have a mission here. And God has given a very clear vision. Rick, what is it? What are you wanting to tell us? I'll get there. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 40, 54, verse 2. Isaiah 54, verse 2. Now this verse given to Israel was also a verse that launched the modern missionary movement. A man by the name of William Carey read this verse and was so struck by it and so stunned by it that he went out and began the first time in a thousand years at this particular point in church history that missionaries were sent out and he went and it started the ball rolling of mission work all over the world. And here's the verse, Isaiah 54 verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out the curtains of your dwellings, spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs, the Lord says. I've read this verse over and over through this week, folks. I believe that God is telling us this morning, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Spare not. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your pegs. And you may say, well, Rick, I thought you went to the county and talked to them about expanding the barn. And, and it wasn't a doable thing. You're right. It wasn't. And so we began to pray. And so at the beginning of, end of July, beginning of August, we said, be praying. Please pray that God will give us insight, will give us direction, will show us where to go and what to do. And every time the elders met together, we prayed, God, just show us what you want to do. Show us your plan, your deliberations, your strategy, not ours, because right now we're clueless wonders and we don't know what to do. Enlarge the place of your tent. Gang, we started this church knowing that where God guides, God provides. And on Friday of this last week, we put a down payment on 10 acres of land here on North Whidbey Island that God has provided miraculously, amazingly. And I'm thrilled to pieces. Uh-oh. Okay, there you go. There goes the bridge. There's just going to be another church into building buildings and building an empire. No, we are not. Let me make this vision clear to you. The land that we put this money down on, just a little bit down on, is the very first spot that Mike Freeman and I were drawn to when we drove over here a year ago. We're driving around looking for a place to meet. Before we met the Gilmores, before we had seen this farm, we had no idea. And we were driving down 20 and we came to this place called Northgate Terrace. Some of you have seen it. And there's an A-frame building with a, looks like a stop sign that says go. <laughs> it's Doe Realty, G-N-O. Glenna and Oscar are the two who own it. And if you, have, you need to meet Glenna and Oscar because they're, they they're cool. They're the coolest people. And we pull in there, and Mike, and I'm thinking Mike's out of his head, because we pull in, and go, these people are going to know if there's something around here that we could rent, and I'm going, go on a stop sign? All right, so we pull in, we go in, we sit down, we meet Glenna, and she's talking to us, and Mike's talking up a storm, he has that, that ability just to kind of, you know, he, he, he was a pilot, he relates, you know, he shakes hands and all that. So we're like an hour, and, and I'm thinking, she doesn't have a clue where we're going to meet, I don't know where we're going to meet, I don't even know, people are going to think I'm nuts, and I'm probably still going to move to California. And she said, now what are you looking for? And we said, well, we, we're starting a church. And we need some place for a church to meet. And she said, well, we haven't put it on the market or anything, but my husband and I own a piece of land that's right up here behind us if you want to look at it. And Mike's like, yeah, show us the land. And I'm like, why do we want to look at land for? We need a building, not land. 
We're going to stand out in the rain. Okay, open your Bibles. So we go up this hill and we wind up to the top. It's the second highest place, by the way, on the north end of the island. That's a picture of it behind me there. In fact, Corey, go to the next. Just click once. Oh, kind of cool. <laughs> click again. Another. Okay, that's pretty. Go, keep going. Click, 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 click. We'll sing that in a minute. Click, click, click. <laughs> right there. There's another shot. Um, Frank, turn off the lights so they can see it a little bit better. Now, that's just part, that's that's part of it. It's ten acres of land. The Lord has provided ten acres of land. Mike and I, that first time, stood up there with Glenna and she's describing it to us and I'm thinking in my head, <laughs> we haven't even met. We haven't even had an offering. We haven't had a Bible study. And we're standing on ten acres of land. And she's going, I've always thought this would be a great place for a church. And I'm thinking, you, you and Mike are both nuts. <laughs> We've been back to this piece of property several times over the year, driving up to it, looking around and thinking... This would be amazing. This would be awesome. But how could a church that just started possibly land <laughs> land there? It's up on this hill where, where we would put a barn. Looks out on, on the Straits of San Juan de Fuca. But let me tell you something. It also looks out on the military base. And it looks out over a place called Northgate Terrace where there are 260 families, many of whom need the Lord. And as we think about a building, gang, and I am so serious about this, I, so many churches get sucked into the world of building an empire instead of building the kingdom. We want to be a part of building the kingdom. I believe God has provided this land and will provide opportunity for us to put something up there that we can meet in for that purpose. So that we can meet and so that ministry can flow out from that place. So that people who have needs can have their lives touched. Not so that I can have an office. I have, I'm going to have one. Eventually. The vision is a place out of which ministry will flow. And looking out from that high place, and by the way, in the Bible, high places were not always good. That was the place where the idols were set up. The high places. And I have a sense, and having been up there just several times this last week, that there have been things that have happened on this high place that are not good. Les and I were up there praying. And just praying that God would make sure that everything here would be of Him. But we're not looking for a place from which we can retreat from the world. We are looking for a place from which we can send people into the world. In our personal lives, yes. And into Northgate Terrace and, and all over this island and spreading out far beyond that. Yes. That's what we're looking for. Grasp that vision. God was the one who said to Israel, enlarge the place of your tent. Why would we want a bigger building? So that we can be more comfortable? No. So that more people can get in. So that more people can hear the Word of God. So that more people can come to worship the Father. And I will build bigger and bigger buildings if it will just make room for people. And again, may it not look much more than this. So that people can come in and be relaxed and not worry about spilling the coffee on the Jones Memorial carpet. <laughs> the vision. Go ahead and turn the light back on, Frank, if you will. 
The vision is that the bridge will be a place. It will be a light in darkness. My sense is that this area of the country has long been in quite a bit of darkness. And God is beginning to do things. And by the way, not just through us. There are many churches around whose lights are going on. And there are many churches around whose lights are dimming as well. We want to join with those whose lights are bright and burning in the darkness so that lives can be saved. That's the vision of this thing. The challenge is, the challenge is to pray. Oh, we've been praying. God gave us lamps. We don't need to pray anymore, do we? No. Pray, pray, pray. We need to pray now that that a feasibility study will show that land to be useful. And we believe it will be. It's got power and water and everything all the way up to it. It should meet the needs perfectly, but we've got to take it to the county. Pray that the county is helpful. Pray that God goes before us, that barriers are wiped away. Pray that all of our hearts remain true and right to doing the will of the Father in this thing and not the will of people. Pray that we don't get caught up in building a building that will burn someday. But that we get caught up in building the kingdom of the Father. Pray. Pray for the loan we're going to have to get. Pray for the neighbors and the people around. Pray for the base. Again, on Friday, Les and I were up there and we're looking down at the base and the planes. I I brought Les up there (coughs) and the planes were circling us the whole time. And I was thinking, I'm going to take him up. It'll be nice and serene and we'll pray together. And he'll say, wow, this is a wonderful place. It's like, (sighs) all the way around us. We're just... And I'm going... You know, unless, you know what, in the time we were there, we recognized we needed to be there right then because Les said, you know, the planes are circling us and we need to grab onto this base. We need to throw our arms around these people. We need to be a place that's showing love to the military. And several of you are in the military. Man, I'm so proud of you guys. Hunter, I saw you walk in the door this morning. I just went, Hunter's here. It's awesome. We have a mission and a vision. Folks, one more thing in the challenge, and I'll throw this out to you. Because a year ago, though I was faltering in my faith, a year ago, I sat with Mike and Jeff at a coffee shop, and I said, one of the priorities that I would like us to have as we try and make this thing happen, (laughs) as we try and get out of the way so God can, one of the priorities is, if possible, I'd like us to get a hold of land within the first year. Their eyebrows kind of went up, and mine did too. I know what I just said. I know that's a little crazy, but if it's possible. And so we have been tucking away as much as possible into savings with that in mind. Understanding, and by the way, if you are visiting for the first time, I want you to know the first 10% of everything that comes in from day one goes to missions. That is a priority. I want that to increase as well. But here's the challenge for you, and this is a financial challenge that I will throw out and ask you to pray to the Father about and work out between you and God. No one will know what your giving is. None of the leaders know what people give. However, my challenge to you as a church is that we will own this land free and clear in one year. It was a statement of faith right there. I want to give you one last verse and we'll be done. I know I've gone a little long this morning. Well, no, I haven't. Oh, we got plenty of time. Relax. <laughs> I want to give you one more verse. And this is a verse that, that came to mind on Friday. And um, 
I don't know if it applies to us or not, but it very may, very well may. Isaiah chapter 37, verse 30. Listen to these words. This shall be the sign for you. You will eat this year what grows of itself. In the second year what springs from the same. And in the third year, sow, reap, plant vineyards, and eat their fruit. In the first year, our first year in the barn has been a Genesis. And we've been studying through Genesis, but how interesting. The book of beginnings, and this has been our beginnings. And it is, it's, it's been a work of God from day one. And we've been kind of growing in faith and learning and, and coming to see what He wants to have happen. So much like we've watched happen in the book of Genesis. We've seen men like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. We've watched their breathtaking failures and their God-honoring faith. And we marvel at them, but here's the deal, gang. God is calling us to work and to walk in a greater faith than Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. A faith that does not have the tangible so often to see. A faith that believes without seeing. Our first year has been a genesis. And we ate this year of what has grown of itself. It's just kind of slowly grown. In the second year, Isaiah again says, Take what springs from the same, what grows out of the same. Our second year will be an exodus. We're about to start studying Exodus. And I didn't, I didn't plan this out. I really didn't. I knew we were going to start at the beginning of the Bible, but I didn't know when we would finish it. I didn't know it would be a year in Genesis. I apologize, but hey, it's been fun, hasn't it? <laughs> Our second year will be an Exodus, a time to step out. A time to follow the Lord with, with Him out leading ahead of us, with Him as the shepherd, with Him going before us. A time to say, God, you're doing something here bigger than what we originally thought. Help us follow you. And so, like the first year, we will continue to eat what grows of itself and what springs from the same. But in the third year, Isaiah 37:30, God says, In the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. So what about our third year? If the Lord delays, if He tarries, if He doesn't come back for His church, if He doesn't pull us out before that time... We may very well see at the Bridge Christian Fellowship the fruit of a great harvest, and that's what I'm praying for. God is the one here, gang, laying the foundation. As Mike said this morning, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so we are in the Word, and we'll be in the Word consistently and constantly. The Word, but the power that drives this thing is the Holy Spirit. And with that combination, let me ask you, why can't God do miracles today? Why can't God, if He truly is God, do wondrous things today? Oh, well, that's Old Testament stuff, Rick. Well, that's New Testament stuff. That's Bible. That's not for today. Now we just got to kind of walk along. Why? Why do we think that? I don't believe that any longer. I'm convinced that our Father, who is unexpected many times, who knows exactly what He's doing, that He wants to reveal to us what's coming. And I know that I know that I know that God is looking for a great harvest. May we simply be servants in that field. Let's pray together. Oh God, it, it is 
it is because your grace is so amazing that we sit here before you today. Father, we are all in need of your grace. Father, I pray for those of us who are believers, who have given our lives to you, Lord, that you would remind us each step of every day that it is by grace that we have been saved. Lord, help us to walk in that grace, not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought, but focusing on you, Jesus, in a constant walk of thanksgiving for what you have done in our lives. Father, for those who may be here this morning who have not received you as their Lord, who who maybe even yet have doubts about your love for them, I pray that you would bring the cross to mind, that you would weigh on them the burden of your extravagant love, that they would see and know beyond shadow of a doubt that you so love the world that you gave your one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is the testimony of Jesus, Lord, and it's the great verse that we hang our hopes on. And if this morning, if you're sitting here as we pray and and you want to accept Jesus as Lord, you want Him to be your Savior, you want to turn your life over to Him, it's as simple as, as turning to Him in repentance and saying, Lord, in fact, if you want this, pray this with me, Lord, I am a sinner. And Lord, I repent of my sins. I'm sorry. I know that I can't walk a perfect life. And I, I want to be covered by your love. And so I accept you as Lord and Savior. I accept the death of Jesus as the payment for my sins. And his resurrection as my hope of eternal life. And I pray, Lord, that you would come and be my Lord now and take control and go before me. And God, for all of us, would you go before us as our commander, as our shepherd, as our king. And as children, help us to follow you in humility and joy. And may we see the fruit of these things, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.